While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. It's always fun when the sheriff comes in. It is. Unless you're an inmate, which we're not as of this point. <laughs> but let's be good tonight. So Sheriff Tom Hodgins here in the studio with us. We'll be taking your phone calls at 508-996-0500. We always have a good time with the sheriff. Um, you had a big party tonight. Yeah, it was a, it was a real great event uh, down at uh, Inner Bay. Had, had a clam ball and sold out. It was great. It was awesome. The... Um, Sheriff, when, when last time we talked to you, Sheriff, the um, the illegal aliens were, were trying to trying to get a mega bucks ticket off of you, right? They're going to sue the taxpayers for what was it, ten million dollars, yeah. fifty million dollars? Why stop at ten million? Right. Why, why why stop at ten million? I mean, I always I'm always I'm always amazed by that. Somehow they're they're incarcerated for committing crimes after breaking into the country or overstaying their welcome, and somehow they're worth ten million dollars. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. How's yeah. that going? Well, we, you know, that's going to be, it'll be drawn out case, obviously, but it's, it's, it's really worthless, the case. I mean, there's right. no basis for it. Right. Um, we know the activist groups were, were behind them. That's important. Prior to the incident even, even happening. Uh, we know that they were, they were trying to, to do what they could to get out under COVID. Um, <clears throat> and I, as I, I think I mentioned on the show before, I've, we've, we've got 205 pages of a freedom of information request we have not released, but that shows the, the clear pattern. Um, from uh, the ACLU to Mar Healy to Washington and back and forth, back and forth. So, um, <clears throat> look, I've been doing this. We were the model for the nation when it came to immigration detention. And, um, and it's pretty clear that, um, that this was nothing more than a political, uh, a political move. And uh, being the most outspoken, one of the most outspoken in the country on the issue of immigration and the impacts on our communities, the... <clears throat> the people who are responsible, the, the more progressive people uh, in Washington, uh, i.e. AOC, more, um, Elizabeth Warren, and the rest of them, of course, they jumped right on the thing and sent a, sent a letter to me signed by, like, I don't know, 30-some-odd, you know, uh, Democrat members of Congress <laughs> right. who never asked one question about the incident, never knew anything about it, just shut it down. And that's, I think, the people of this county recognize, and t for 25 years I've been doing immigration detention, uh, the feds inspected us like a meat plant every year that you'd have to believe that they were the, the feds that were inspecting us were all liars. Right. And, 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 that, and that, that suddenly we were a bad agency overnight. It was just it was just it was so blatantly clear. The uh, activist group and, and some of their some of their their, um, their followers now in the Democrat primary um, are imagining a conspiracy so immense, right? I mean, you talk about conspiracy theories. Their conspiracy well, theory is that all the federal inspectors were somehow in your pocket. It's no, insane. Well, well, 
But now you're saying that there was coordination between the Attorney General, Moore Healy, who's likely going to be the next governor, um, and the ACLU, and I think Secretary Mayorkas, and you have some FOIA documents uh, proving that. When do we get to see those? Uh, we'll, we'll decide. We, we've got some communication going back and forth down to uh, the Inspector General's office in Washington, asking okay. them to relieve any obligations, uh, or objections, rather, of us releasing the tapes, okay, and uh, and letting the public finally see because they Good. had, ironically, surprise, surprise, uh, it's been two and a half years. Okay. Not only not only is Mara Healy not charged anybody in our operation that she accused wrongly uh, and incompetently uh, about uh, violating state law and violating the civil rights of these people, but the Inspector General's office, after two and a half years, still hasn't released the report. And the reason that both of them haven't is because they both know that it will reveal exactly what I said from day one. This was a clear political move. They exposed the people in my county to more dangers by playing their political games and shutting that operation down. And we're now releasing people who we otherwise would be holding who have criminal histories who are here illegally back into the communities because we can't hold them. We can't get the access to the information we used to get for my people that were deputized by ICE and went through the training for ICE down in Georgia. We're speaking with Bristol County <clears throat> Sheriff Tom Hodgson. So we had a debate here with the uh, the three Democrats that are um, fighting for the right to face you in the fall. Uh, what was what is your reaction to that debate? Um, it it's it was a typical debate. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting to to I uh, heard heard some of it and and uh, it was interesting to see. It was uh, I felt sort of hard to define between three people who, if I were somebody looking to, to support one of them, to what the real differentiation was in regards to, to clear, um, clear differences. It, 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 but, but you know what? Um, look, well, I'll, they all, they all, they all, they all think that the, the person that should emerge in September 6th is the person that has the best shot at beating you. Who do you think that is? I don't really have an opinion on that. <laughs> I, 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 I really don't have, honestly, I, I really, honestly, Marks, I, I don't really have an opinion on it. I've, I've never, you know, from day one when I ran for this office, you know, everybody said, oh, he can't win as a Republican and the biggest Democrat on Cleveland, Massachusetts. And I remember somebody who was very well respected uh, said to me, uh, who had been in politics for a long time, uh, uh, Doc Walsh, uh, said, um, my wife asked, said, Doc, what do you think his chances are? He said, well... And he, you could barely see any light between his finger and his thumb. And he said, well, if he, if he, if he wants to win, um, he has to at least, he has any chance, it, he's got to become an independent. If he wants this much, which was very little more light between those two finger and thumb, he's got to switch to Democrats. There's no way he can win as a Republican. And I remember saying to him at the time, Doc, if you're telling me I got a lot of people about what I believe in, and what I would be doing for them, they're not going to like me when I get in, and I won't like me either. And you know what? I'm, I said that and meant it because I've, I'm not into the politics stuff of it. I'm into what privilege or honor did you get to serve, and then utilizing that office to do everything you can to maximize the potential of that office, in this case, as a sheriff, to keep people safe, to help, to help the inmates not come back, not, not spend time sitting around watching TV, lifting weights, playing cards, because if I were in there, and I came from some of the backgrounds they did, that's all I would know. Nobody ever taught me about responsibility. And in the beginning, when I took that away, it was like, he's till the honey, he hates image. No, I don't. No, I don't. The people that are, that are largely responsible for why they kept staying in there and wanting to come back were the ones that didn't give them the alternatives to say, no, you can't watch TV, you can't live away. I mean, you can watch TV in the general area, you can't have them in your cell. 
you uh, you you're not going to go lift weights. No, I shut the gymnasium down. Donated the uh, the electric scoreboards to the boys and girls club, the bleachers to Fairhaven uh, Junior High. The parents are sitting on the floor watching the game. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Here? <laughs> right? This is this is not right. So so essentially, when I did that, suddenly, inmates went, well, I could sit my cell, be bored, or go to a program to help myself. Our GED graduation rates one of the biggest, one of the highest in the state. We have inmates involved in all kinds of programs, education programs, college programs with UMass. You know, but if I were in there and I had that situation, you told me I had the choice between going to those things and watching TV, lifting weights. I'm watching TV and lifting weights. I'm right. not going. All right. Well, <clears throat> Sheriff, um, I, you know, I was looking at the Mass Department of Corrections and they, you know, the three-year recidivism rates. The, the, the most recent data they have is from 2015, 2016. It shows Bristol County having a 40% recidivism rate, which is, I believe, the high, uh, second highest to Franklin County um, in the Commonwealth. So is that philosophy that you have um, actually working? Well, of course it is. And the recidivism rates you're talking about aren't even something that everybody measures the the recidivism rates by some will measure it if somebody gets arrested goes to jail they're convicted goes to jail they get out on on parole they violate their parole come back then somebody considers that recidivism it's not they didn't commit another crime but yet somebody else somebody else may not measure that so what's happening is and that's why the state doc and the sheriffs are have been this past year looking at what is a legitimate thing that can measure recidivism right now you're not going to be able to tell under those recidivism rates you might be saying okay well that guy came back but that doesn't mean he didn't commit a crime in another county so okay. you're not really measuring effectively in its fullest whether or not you might be able to say they came back to my place but if they went if they got arrested in rhode island and committed a crime there or whatever you're not going to know that um it's not going to be considered as part of the recidivism studies so this is no secret. Everybody knows it. Recidivism is not something. Even even uh, Senator Bronsberger said, and he's a very liberal senator, yeah. but a smart guy, and, and I, I respect for him. He said, get rid of this recidivism thing. It doesn't tell us anything, right? That's Senator Bronsberger. So that's why we're revamping this thing, and they've, they've been working on it for a year trying to figure out how can we really measure right. uh, what legitimately recidivism would be. So, Tom... Um on the recidivism piece, how much control do you have over inmates once the courts release them anyway? I mean, I, you know, I think about it my own my own medical time. It's not identical, but, you know, one of the things the doctors told me is we can do this X, Y, and Z for you, but the rest of it's up to you, right? Well, well, Nutrition, all the rest of that, that piece. What happens when an inmate leaves your facility? How much more control do you have over them? And I ask that. I don't say that rhetorically. I mean, literally, how much control do you have over people once they leave? Do they come back for visits? Is it a parole issue? How does that work? Well, you don't. You you never have total control because they can decide to go to a program or not, even inside the prison. But okay. we do have, you know, reentry planning, which we do when somebody comes into our facility. We set them on a plan. We have caseworker okay. for every single every single uh, uh, inmate, and when they leave. We have people on the outside and people from our facility who are working on the reentry plan with them when they get out, you know, channeling them toward um, AA programs, channeling Stepping Stone, whatever. Right. Um, education. We work with the uh, Job Development Corps in New Bedford to get them placed in jobs. Uh, so, so that's that's been something we've been doing for years and years and years. How much of the problem in Bristol County, or in uh, which is your expertise? is really related to drugs and alcohol, that guys end up, men and women end up in prison because they got involved with drugs and alcohol? That's a great question. 
of the population, approximately, are people that are drug involved in one way or another. Their crimes are drug related, um, and it's it's a problem uh, that's been a terrible problem over the course of time, and it's gotten worse. When you look at what's going on with fentanyl right now, right. we're losing 300 young people a day in this country at the hands of fentanyl. Um, you know, th- these people need to be in treatment. They need to, to get the help. It's much like mental health. They close down all the mental health facilities, and right. suddenly we, the, the jails and the, and the houses of corrections became, became the mental health institute. You, you know, somebody that's acting out because they've got mental health problems, and, and it's not something that they, they're consciously thinking about, but they start throwing feces or, or attacking other inmates or right. officers. You can't let them stay where they are. You have to put them in a restricted environment. Right. Well, that's not going to help that person that's got a mental health issue. We have mental health staff on 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 our um, on our, our uh, department that work with these guys and check in with them, and they do mental health clearing. Everybody gets mental health checks when they come in to begin with, and and then those who are, are concerns whether there's some previous issues or histories, they they're we're alerted to that, and they are too, and they. They monitor that as mental health, but 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 jails aren't aren't mental health facilities. Correct, correct. So, do you think that um, do you think that there should be more uh, a greater availability of mental health facilities in the Commonwealth? Absolutely, no question about it. No question about it. Absolutely, and 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 not just for people uh, that are ultimately ending up in our place. But look at what's going on with COVID and the impacts it's had on people and people that you know. Hey, wait a second. No, 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 you know what I'm saying. I'm joking. I'm yeah, joking. yeah, yeah. Right. But, but you know, when you think about this, there's there so many people. Um, kids couldn't go to school. They're finding they have mental health problems as a result of that. There's, right. there's all kinds of things that that have happened where we we've really got to address the mental health problem in this nation. It's 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 one of the most important things that's affecting society and people's being depressed and all these other things. Sheriff, sure, you mentioned COVID. Um, and, you know, there was the Savino case uh, that had uh, uh, released the uh, what, however many uh, inmates were released from your, your ICE detention facility center. And I was a defense attorney at the time. And we were talking about uh, we, we were we were uh, filing uh, uh, compassionate releases, essentially, of people that were, were uh, being held at your facility, and other facilities in the Commonwealth. Um, but I think the biggest issue was the Ash Street Jail. Uh, where they said it was basically structurally impossible to follow COVID uh, guidelines. There were stories about, um, you know, there's a single, uh, a single, um, a single uh, disinfectant and paper towel per cell block unit. Um, you know, you couldn't uh, effectively socially distance there. There were calls from your predecessor, David, uh, David Nelson, or Sheriff Nelson, to um, to close Ash Street Jail uh, before he stepped down. So, um, why has the Ash Street Jail remained open during your tenure as sheriff? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, when, when, when my opponents called for that, when I first ran 25 years ago, I said, number one, um, there's no reason to go make the taxpayers pay uh, $50 million to buy a new building that might look a little better and not necessarily function much better. When we have schools that have been around since, right. John, since uh, Grant was president, where they, the roofs are leaking and everything else, and we're telling those kids, hey, listen, you, you, can, you can wait. Uh, while the people that broke into your home or stole stole your bike or whatever, we're going to take care of them and give them a much nicer looking facility. Look, that facility 
is one of the cleanest, quietest, safest jails in the entire United States. You can, well, I'd invite you guys to come in. You could literally eat off. Oh, you can't leave. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, but honestly, honestly, Mark, if you walked in there, uh, but Brownsburger went in. Right. He couldn't That's, believe it. Uh, Senator William Senator Brownsburger, Brownsburger yeah, from uh, uh, Andover, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He was down to meet with our staff. Uh, it was at a time where Marlene Pollock and the rest of them said there was feces coming up through the floor and it, the place was filthy. Never seen yeah. been in. And the bottom line was he walked down the tier and he goes, where's all this feces they're talking about? <laughs> he said it sarcastically because he knew. But my point is, look, it's all about your standards. I When I took over that place, it was not what it is today. We had inmates hanging, hanging uh, towels on their on their on the bars, you know, mirrors at the at the front, you know, there was there was two exits. There was the go, one going into the yard and one to the to the to the street, right? And I was like, wait a minute. First of all, th- this is not appropriate. I put in a sprinkler system, two additional exit fire exit doors. We opened a regional lock up there, and I remember when I was on the board of selectmen in Freetown, you saved us millions of dollars every year by taking our oh, yeah. inmates. Oh yeah, and you know what? Look, that's. You, that point you just made, Chris, is what it's all about. Look, you if you're going to take a job like this, you need to understand the powers of that job and maximize every possible ability do you have to, to impact in a positive way, not only the public safety, but our work pr- crews that go out and they save millions of dollars. So for, the, so for the people at home that don't understand oh. what I meant, is that in the town of Freetown, I was on the board of selectmen, this is every town and city around, you know, we got a small police department, like most of them. And so if we arrested somebody, you know, which is not a daily occurrence, but if we did, it would mean they'd have to bring in somebody else to watch the prisoner to prevent suicide, all that stuff. And that would mean additional money from the police department and the taxpayers just to, to give that, that person who got arrested, maybe for something as simple as drunk driving, things like that. Um, so it costs a lot of money and a lot of potential liability, right? Um, because if an inmate dies in the local lockup, it's a big deal. They die anywhere, obviously. But my point is that you you came up with a system and said, guys, you can drop them off. And I know for a fact it still goes on to this day. Oh, yeah. That the le- local police departments can bring their arrested people after booking to your department where you guys can watch them. Right. And, and look, I was a cop down in Maryland years ago. Right. And we used to hold them at, at our, our substation. Look. I said when I first took over, it is absolutely wrong and inappropriate to have police officers having to watch prisoners inside a police station for two reasons. Number one, they're they're not trained to deal with what we deal with every day, positional asphyxiation, um, some of the the, uh, issues around mental health and those things that we deal with on a regular basis. They wouldn't understand that. They then get exposed to a liability. Right, they shouldn't right. be exposed to. Right. They end up getting sued, go to court. Their family gets dragged through it. In the end, even if they got off, which most of the time they probably would, why should their family and them go, go through that when we were the ones that should have had them to begin with? And we knew it. We have medical staff 24 hours a day around the clock. We have we have uh, food services there. Right. I mean, you put them in a police lockup. Uh, they get Dunkin' Donuts. We have Dunkin' Donuts, Maybe. whatever they can get, and 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 the and the. The cells they don't they don't deal with the cell decorum and the and the standards of, of uh, they they can't I mean the state police are putting them in their having them in their barracks and 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 they're having to the guy who's at the at the desk running the barrack has to get up every thirty minutes and go back there and check on the person right, right? right. And what kind of way is that to run an operation when you know you have facilities like ours that can take care of them m- minimize the risks to the inmate coming in the prisoner 
and also minimize the exposure and liability for anybody that has to handle them in, in the law enforcement community. So, Sheriff, we actually have a question from the app chat. And if you want to call in and ask the sheriff a question, you can at 508-996-0500. We'll ask you this before we got to take a commercial break. But uh, someone was asking what you're going to do with the old Shamit Diner. Uh, my understanding is that our our uh, one of our, our own Phil Paleologus had given you the Shamit Diner uh, for some type of work training program. And he was asking if you're going to use it. Uh, or if it should be sold or someone else can find a use for it? Well, no, we, we absolutely want to use it. It was one of our, when we acquired that, we had uh, we were waiting for 600 and some odd thousand dollar um, um, award from the federal government for a major bust my guy was involved with with the okay. feds. Uh, we have not yet got that money, seizure money. Uh, that was supposed to be our portion. Apparently, they're still working out something to do with some people have claims against it or what have you. But basically, what it would what we were going to use it for and we are going to use it for when we get it going um, is to allow the inmates to learn uh, basic skills around balancing a, a, cash, a cash register, right. cooking, serving, and we were going to open it up for, for periodically for seniors to come in where they can just serve the seniors. The seniors get the benefit, but they also get the chance to be exposed to, to people who are going to tell them, hey, thank you so much. Right. I'm a big one for, that's why I have the work programs out of everywhere because I, I want these people to associate as much as I can to program them to understand those good feelings you feel when people are saying things to you when you're out doing good things is something you can do all the time. Right. <laughs> Just keep doing good things and you're going to get that good feeling. And a lot of them probably didn't get much exposure to that coming up, but you know what? It's a chance for them to do it. And I want to program them to understand do good things and you're, you're going to get good feelings. And that's what we've learned. Let's, right? uh, let's go to the phones. 508-996-0500 if you want to get on with the sheriff. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, Barry, what's up? So um, I, this is a further, uh, uh, I, I would say, testament to the the, uh, the popularity of your show. Yeah, the people you have on, uh, you're doing such a good job. Everybody's listening to you guys. Uh, just kudos and compliments for that. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Um, secondly, uh, to the sheriff. So, um, again, I'm a, I'm a registered Democrat, and um, the sheriff has, uh, he's been awarded a... Um, He's person of the year for it's an apolitical society, non-political society that I'm past president of, and maybe the sheriff could uh, say it or you guys, but um, he's our person of the year. The Prince Henry Society. And, correct, correct. And um, I wanted to congratulate you, uh, Sheriff Hodgson, on that uh, to be the recipient of that. Well, um, I'm sorry. Good. No, I, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you very much. I mean, when I was notified, I have to tell you, I, I mean, I think. Uh, probably most of the Portuguese community know that I have a real affinity for the Portuguese, Portuguese culture. And, I, and, of course, I've been accused of being a wannabe, and I am. Uh, but uh, but the truth is, it really, of, of any honors I've ever received, that was the most not only um, rewarding and humbling thing, but it, it was the most touching thing for me. Because we are in a prestigious group, Sheriff, with uh, the likes of Biff McLean, Jack Nabriga, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good people. And, and congratulations. Um, and, and, Sheriff, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit. One of my best friends, uh, he's, he's part of that society, but um, you hired him several years ago to be one of your uh, cooks and chefs. He, he ran the, uh, the Friendlies in Dartmouth. And um, Al's a great oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, but you saved through procurement of the food that year. I think he told me I was staggered by the amount of the savings. Was it, sir, was it six figures or seven figures that year? 
that you saved uh, with with the food purchase for for us taxpayers. Sir. Yeah, I Barry, I'm going to hold you there, but thanks for the call. I, 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 uh, what Barry's referring to is is uh, I think it was six figures, but but that goes to the 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 whole idea of what I believe we needed to do to manage the, the, the operation. And I'm the only sheriff's office in the entire Commonwealth. And I started at 20, almost 25 years ago, a management accountability program. We measure every day on every shift, 250 operating indicators, how many meals are served, how many maintenance slips are outstanding, how many are done. And we measure it month by month. So the managers can actually see in real time right. where they need to be and make adjustments. Also, we can see it, 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 in the administration, What's going well? So if somebody's running 10% behind their projections on overtime, it's a chance to say, hey, con- congratulations. Great um, job. Right. The others can hear it and figure out. What- I, I, I was busy doing producing stuff, but uh, he asked about, are you, are you talking about um, this? I remember this controversy, God, 15 years ago or so, but um, the reduction of the apportionment in the in the inmates' meals, is that, it was, uh, is that what you were referring to? No, I think he's referring to the, I, I believe he's referring to us uh, going with a, with a different vendor. Okay. Um, you put the as stuff far as food bid, costs right? goes, as far as food costs Because goes. I remember that there was a hunger, uh, like a hunger strike of some sorts and all of that. How that much was... money did that save you? Yeah, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> those inmates well, got to do that more often. Yeah, yeah, no, but but uh, what I would, uh, Marcus, there is there was a, there was a big savings around our our um, our diet and how okay. we how we managed it. Um, basically, you know, I I said we're not we're not going to have fryerators here. Uh, we're not having French fries. Um, we're going to give them healthy foods, and a lot of these guys come in very sick. They leave very healthy. And it's and and the, if you want if you're going to come to prison, you're not going to get, you know, as much as you want. Uh, th- th- those are those are privileges you get on the outside. Uh, but when you come there, the taxpayers are paying for it. Our obligation is to make sure that you you get enough food every meal, that it's properly proportioned, and it's it's all of our menus are done by an, uh, a certified nutritionist. So okay. so that's that. Look, I'm not in the business of punishing people. That was never my role as a sheriff. The judges did that when they sent them to my facility. Our job is to do everything we can to help somebody when they're there for however long, add more life skills tools to their toolbox. So when they leave, they get on a trajectory of more likely never coming back and being successful. That is our charge. We're going to take one more phone call before the break. 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're live with the sheriff. Good evening, guys. Um, Sheriff, I listened to the debate for the um, Democratic candidates that are uh, running for sheriff, and a caller posed a question about what do you believe the impact would be to your job if you were to become sheriff posed by the, you know, millions of new immigrants into the country? And basically their answer, all three of them was, it's not our job to secure the border. We just house, you know. Were you that caller? I can't recall, but I do have a question. (laughs) But it was a good question. A good question. All right. Thanks for the call. All of them didn't seem to understand that it would be impacted, you know, physical space, um, financially, the life, you know, the lifestyle of the inmates that are already there, would that be impacted? So I'd like your take on, on that. And we'll, we'll get his take actually after the break. I'm really behind a commercial. So we're going to get his take after the break. Thanks for the call. 508-996-0500. 
BSN. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. So uh, we've got some calls on the line. If you just if you can just hold, Sheriff, you were asked uh, basically how um, our uh, Im- our crisis of immigration, because uh, I think everybody by, uh, unanimously agrees that it is a crisis of immigration when you're uh, one, uh, one way or another, how that affects your job as Sheriff? Well, first of all, uh, we know that there are right now um, sex trafficking, human trafficking in this country is out of control. Fentanyl is pouring into our neighborhoods. Moms and dads are going to wake their kids up to go to work and they're not waking up because they've died of fentanyl uh, poisoning. Um, these, these things are all affecting the safety and security of the people that we promise to protect. And for, go- for the government in Washington, and I've been working on this issue for 25 years, um, and, and for the government to say, the same people took the same oath I did, to say, you know what, we'll pick and choose who has to follow the law and who doesn't. And knowingly that people are, people being killed by, by illegal gang members, the transnational gangs that are here, the drugs pouring in that are coming clearly from the southern border. For, I thought for, most of the fentanyl came from China. No, no, it's produced in China. It comes, it comes through the Mexican border. It doesn't come from China. Okay. China, China produces it. So well, I think the largest drug bust in U.S. history for fentanyl was in Philadelphia. If I'm it, not mistaken. it may have been, but but what a lot of people don't know, probably a lot of listeners don't know this, but Massachusetts has had the highest influx of illegal aliens than any other state in the United States from 2007 to 2017, and it hasn't gotten any better. We they're flying them into Hanscom every Tuesday. People don't know that they're flying them into Green Airport. I'm going to give you a good example of how it impacts, not just on the crime front. Last May, there were 237,000 illegal aliens that came across that border. One month. That population, now that's the ones that they encountered. The ones that didn't get encountered was about 60,000. Okay. But take the 237,000. You look at the population of New Bedford and Fall River, that's more than both combined. Sure. My question is, just that one month, where are there in this country, where is there a New Bedford and a Fall River sitting vacant with complete infrastructure, schools, jobs, fire department, police department, uh, grocery stores, medical facilities, hospitals? Where are they? And if there aren't any just waiting to be occupied, where are these 237,000 people well, going in one, one month? They're not, only, uh, they're not all going to one place. I'd, I'd agree that would probably be an issue of infrastructure. Well, we only took them one month. Place. We're talking one month. We're only talking one month. Right. So, so if you took the millions that they've had coming in in this past year, take that alone and say, okay, where are, the, where are those millions of people going? Where, where are they staying? Where are they living? What are they doing for jobs? And how are they taking care of themselves with medical, medical needs and all that? Because you know they do. We're introducing... Now we're seeing polio again, which we eradicated from this country a long time ago. We're seeing more diseases coming in that we didn't have. We're seeing, we're seeing these, these, uh, uh, the cartels taking over our, our neighborhoods basically through their, through their, their, um, their different programs like the, the sex and human trafficking. Right? Sure. Sheriff, it- I have a question. With a with new right to get a driver's license, a legal driver's license, regardless of your immigration status, that seems to me to be a big draw for why you would want to relocate, say, from New York or New Hampshire to Massachusetts if you're an illegal alien. So it's, 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 it's an amazing, it's an artificial man-made incentive to come 
to live in Massachusetts, at least temporarily, to get yourself a driver's license, right? Um, the city of New York, the mayor of New York, a liberal Democrat, is pleading with the federal government and with the state of Texas to stop allowing illegal immigrants to be shipped to his cities. Because the, 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 the facilities of New York City, the biggest city in the world, is being overwhelmed by illegal immigrants. I think that's what you're saying, yes. is what we may look forward to. Yeah, and I've been to the border five times. Look, and the reason I go to the border is, as do sheriffs from all over this country. So when people tell you that's not our job, right? The, those are people that have no clue about how that directly impacts the people that we promise to protect in our communities. And that's why the, that I, I was down in Washington for meetings with the president when he invited me to go down there, along with other sheriffs, to talk about, he wanted to know what's happening in your, your communities. What exactly, what is the impacts on you guys? So when I create this policy, I want to make sure it doesn't go filter through politicians that are trying to get credit for things. It goes right back to the people that you're representing, that you're telling me are getting impacted by this. Right. And, and you know what? Somebody said to me once, Oh, I think I heard an opponent or somebody say, you know, he's down in Washington all the time. I'm not down there all the time at all, number one. But number two, I will never apologize for going to Washington, D.C. for any president. I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican president. If you're willing to help me protect the people of my county that I promise to protect, right. I'll be there anytime you call me and ask me to come in and tell you what you I think you can do in the way of creating good policy that makes a difference for them. Let's keep them safer. Let's go to the phones. <clears throat> good evening. You're live with the sheriff. Good evening. Uh, I just want to go back to something that uh, the sheriff was saying much earlier in the show about uh, the Ash Street Jail and about the fact that he's not um, very political or not interested in playing politics. So could you just explain what is the role of a sheriff? Because I think sometimes it's confusing in our day and age. Sure. Well, the, well, the, the role of a sheriff is multifaceted. Uh, we, we have law enforcement responsibilities as well as, obviously, you know, operating the jail and the houses of correction. And uh, that's our, our fundamental responsibility. Now, of course, involved in that is the management, the, creating the policies, procedures, um, you know, designing the staff to, to make sure that they're meeting the needs of the operation, uh, putting systems in place that are going to hold us uh, accountable to the taxpayer, uh, for the way we spend our money and the effectiveness of our programs. Those are, those are the responsibilities of the sheriff. And um, I always tell people, listen, uh, I've always looked at my job. I'm not supposed to be the smartest guy in the operation. I'm supposed to find the smartest people and put them in the right place. And, okay. Um, so could, I'm sorry. Could, you did answer that, but could you explain what that has to do with uh, the border and all that? Was, I mean, and, and, you know, Washington, D.C., and... How, how, is, how is the border or the immigration situation uh, part of your job? Well, first of all, um, when, when we have illegal aliens in our communities, um, we need to make sure that if they're criminally illegal aliens, that they're not out there victimizing people and that we're helping ICE to be able as partners to, to get those people off the street and create the partnerships that we did. Look, I was down at 9-11. But, but wait a minute. You, you don't have a partnership with ICE. Isn't that right? Oh, no. Well, well we... we did have didn't, a partnership. Didn't ICE, didn't ICE fire you from uh, the contract that you had with them? No, ICE didn't fire us. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas acted in his in his political uh, uh, his political motivations to shut down the one the one operation that was the model for the nation. All over. Okay, let me answer the something. question. You asked me the question. Let sure. me finish. Let me finish, please. That entire shutdown of our operation, we've never failed an audit in twenty five years. We were the model for the nation, and for them to have shut down our operation, 
They've now exposed the people of our county to serious, serious risks of being victimized because the people we otherwise were holding that were coming in that we could identify as criminal illegal aliens are now getting released right back out into the neighborhoods. So, Sheriff, you you you, well, you testified in Washington. Excuse me, call You testified down in Washington about an illegal alien in New Bedford who uh, who murdered his daughter. Yes, right. So, so when the caller asks, and I understand what he's trying to get at, but he's he's, he's way off mark. When you get illegal immigrants committing crimes in your community, that's what you're trying to talk about, right? But, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, the guy shot and killed his daughter. Yeah, but that's and a, you testified down it, in Washington that's, regarding that. That's crime. a misrepresentation, I think, of of the but she's immigrant dead, community. Matt. She's dead. Yeah, I know she's dead, but that's an, that's, an, that's but, a, but she's dead. But because her husband, right, right. I understand what she was killed by an illegal alien. So I understand alien. what you're trying to do, but I think that's a misrepresentation of the of the immigrant community, both uh, documented and undocumented. No, but that guy killed her. He was convicted. Right. Okay. Well, we've had other people. But that's too. the question. He was saying that when illegal immigrants come and commit crimes in the community, that's why he was in Washington. He was testifying about it. It's somehow it's somehow worse when it's someone who who has a different like uh, who's undocumented than someone who's an American well, citizen. No, but the, but the Congress I don't understand. The Congress asked him to testify about illegal immigrants committing crimes in his in the co- Bristol County. That's why he was in Washington. Yeah, testifying about it because they but, asked him. And I'd okay. also you know to the call. It's a matter of public record. I mean, it's not not yeah. very difficult and, to understand. And, and, and if when the Congress calls, you show up, right? Right. right. And, and and if and if but but the other part of this is to the the callers. Uh, um, making a point here that that somehow we, we I, I believe that that somehow sheriffs don't belong involved in in ICE and immigration enforcement yeah. things like that. That would be like saying we don't belong uh, on the DEA task forces or the FBI task forces that we're my staff are, are participating in and have participated in over the years. Look, nine eleven taught every one of us something that's very important, and I've always believed in this. We need to strengthen our partnerships whatever way we can to maximize our potential to keep the people of our community safe. And as a law enforcement professional, which is what the sheriff is, right? okay, and if you read the powers of the Office of Sheriff, it's very clear. We have full authority to make arrests. We actually have Chapter 90 powers to make traffic stops if we wanted to. We don't normally get involved in that because we have the local police departments that do it. But we work very closely. Our canine respond to all these communities. We train law enforcement uh, uh, the police department's canines. We have great partnerships with our with our our, our uh, local law enforcement officers in our communities. So you know what? That's I think what people expect. They want they want to know that you're doing everything you can. And I will never apologize for working with ICE. Particularly, I mean, just go back and look at the terrorists from 9/11. They started that in Boston, right? Should anybody be concerned about that? So one one of your well, po- one of your potential we're, opponents. We're, we're 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 very behind on. Oh yeah, take a break. Take a break. New Bedford's News Talk Station. Bunch of calls on the line. We've actually got one line open. I'm going to fit one call in before the commercial break, but the sheriff has agreed to stay beyond uh, the 8 o'clock hour to take your calls in the 8 o'clock hour as well. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Yes, yes you're on the air. Uh, I, I got cut off a little while ago, so I was just hoping to... No, I'm sorry. You already had your chance. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I, calls, good we, evening. We get too many calls. Hey, good evening. How's it going, gentlemen? Good. Good great show hey so real quick um you know i was in the camp that usually i like fresh eyes you know newer people to come in newer people tend to see different things but i'll be honest with you after um listening to the democrat uh debate that they had with uh with the candidates for sheriff and now listening to uh uh sheriff hodgson and talking about like mental health and all that it seems like 
you know, even though he has a good grasp of what's going on, like in the jails and in the community, so on and so forth. And, you know, I think that speaks for itself. But one question I did have for the sheriff, uh, which I think both Democratic candidates botched terribly, is if he was to be elected fresh new uh, sheriff, what would he do day one? Interesting. If you, get, if you get another ter- if you get another six years, what what are you what are you going to do that's new or, or continued on day one? Well, we're, we're what we're doing right now is we're expanding uh, vocational programming. We have we have uh, acquired two tractor trailer simulators. We have oh. two welding simulators. Um, you know, the thing about corrections is it evolves. Uh, what it was five years ago is not what it is today, and you have to be able to pivot and have a staff that's you know on the cutting edge of things, and that's what we do. Um, but that would that is one of the top priorities is to try to get more vocational um, uh, training in there because I actually tried to get Voc to agree to let us use the school at night to maximize the ability for that because it's there right and we could take the inmates over there and, and work there. We haven't been able to get to that point yet, but it's something that would be one of my top priorities because um, we really need to make sure that these people are focused as much as we can and the resources are limited. Right. I mean, I have to I need to expand my medical facility because of the kinds of demands we have now. Right. Um, All right. So so we, we got to take a break. And uh, Sheriff Hodgson said he'll stay for a bit in the eight o'clock hour and take your calls. So if you want to hold on the line or call back in the eight o'clock hour, um, we will take your calls and you can talk to the sheriff. 